Frankenstein, Letter 1, to Miss Isabel, England, St. Petersburg's December 11th, 17. You will rejoice to hear the disasters accompanied commitments of the, an enterprise which you regarded with such evil forebodings. I arrived here yesterday with my first after ashore by the sister of my welfare, increasing confidence in the success of my undertaking. I am already far north of London. As I walk in the streets of Petersburg, I feel a cool northern breeze play upon my cheeks with the braces, which braces my nerves and fills me with delight. Do you understand this feeling, this breeze, which has travelled from the regions towards which I am advancing, gives me foretaste of those icy climes inspired, inspirited by this wind of promise, by daydreams become more fruit, fervent and vivid. I try in vain to be, pers- be persuaded a pole is the set of, seat of frost and dissolution. In every it ever presents itself in my imagination as a region of beauty and delight. There Margaret the sun is forever visible, his broad disk just skirting the horizon, diffusing a perpetual splendour. There, for which you your leave, my sister, I will put your some trust preceding navigators. Their snow and frost are banished, as sailing over the calm sea, we may be wafted to lands of passing. In wonders and beauty, every region hitherto discovered on the habitable globe, its reductions of features may be without example, as the phenomenon of the heavenly bodies undoubtedly are in those undiscovered solitudes. What may be expected in a country of eternal light. I may have discovered the wondrous powers which attracts the needle, and may relegate a thousand celestial observations quite only this voyage to render their seemingly eccentrics consi- consi- consistent forever. I shall saturate my ardent curiosity with the sight of a part of the world never before visited. I may thread a land never before imprinted by the foot of man. There are my enticements, and they are significant to conquer all fear of danger or death and induce me to commence this laborious voyage. The joy of a children's fields, child feels when he embarks on part in a little boat with holiday mates on the exhibition of the discovery of his native river. But supposing all these conjunctions be false, you cannot contest the admissible benefit that I shall confer on all mankind to the last generation to be discovering the passage near the pole to those countries to reach such a presence so many months are we secreted or by inserting the secret of the magnet which if all possible can then be effected by an undertaking such as mine these reflections have dispelled the agitation which i began my letter i feel my heart glow with enthusiasm which elevates me to heaven, for nothing contributes so much to tranquilize the mind as a steady purpose, a point at which the soul may fix its intelligible eye. This exhibition has been the favourite dream of my early years. I read with ardour the accounts of various voyages which have made in the prospect of arriving at the North Pacific Ocean through seas which surround the Pole. You may remember that the history of all the voyages May for purposes of discovery compose the whole of your our great Uncle Thomas library. My education has neglected, 
Yet I am passionately fond of reading. These volumes were of my study day and night, and my familiarity with them increased that I regret, which I have felt as a child on learning that my father's dying injunction had forbidden my uncle to allow me to embark in a seafaring life. These visions faded when I perused for the first time as poets whose infusions entranced my soul and lifted it to heaven. I also became a poet for one year, lived in paradise of my own creation. I imagined I almost attained in a niche in the temple where the names of Homer and Shakespeare are concentrated. You are well acquainted with my failure and now heavily I bore the disappointment. But just that time I inherited the fortune of my cousin. My thoughts had turned in the channel of their earlier bent. Six years have passed since I resolved on my present undertaking. I can even now remember the hour from which I dedicated myself to this great enterprise. I commenced my injury in urging my body to hardship. I accompanied the not well fishers on several expeditions to the North Sea, wanting to endure cold, famine, thirst, and went to sleep. I often worked harder than most common sailors during the day, devoting my nights to the study of mathematics, the theory of medicine, whose branches of physical science, which a naval adventure must derive the greatest practical advantage. Twice I actually hired myself as undermate in a Greenland boiler and accompanied myself for abomination. I must own, I feel, a little proud when my captain offered me the secretary to the vessel and treated me to remain with the greatest earnest, so valuable did he consider my services. And now, dear Margaret, do I not deserve so accomplished, so great purpose? Life, life must have been passed. It is a luxury, my first glory to ancient enchantment, a wealth placed on my path. Oh, what's what, that some encouraging voice should answer in affirmation, in affirmative. My courage and my resolution is firm, but my hope, fluctuation, and my spirits are often depressed. I am about to proceed on a long and but difficult voyage, in most cities of which will demand all my fortitude. I require not only to raise the spirits of others, but sometimes to sustain my own when theirs are failing. This is my favourable period of travelling in Russia. They fly quickly over the snow in their sledges. The motion is pleasant, and in my opinion far more agreeable than that of an English stagecoach. A cold is not excessive if you are wrapped in furs, a dress which you are already adopted, for there is a great difference between walking the deck and remaining seated motionless for hours when no exercise prevents the blood from actually freezing in your veins. I have no ambition to lose my life on the post-road between St. Petersburg's and Archangel. I shall depart on the latter town in the fortnight of three week, or three weeks, and my attention is to hire a ship there, which can easily be done by paying insurance for the owner, to engage as many sailors as I think necessary among those who are accustomed to whale-fishing. I do no, not intend to sell till this month of June. Which I, when I shall return, when shall I return? Oh, dear sister, how can I answer this question? For it has many, many months. 
Perhaps years have passed before you and I may meet. If I fail, you see me again soon, or never. Farewell, my dear, excellent Margaret. Heaven shower down blessings on you. Save me, and that I may again, again testify my gratitude. For all your love and kindness, your affectionate brother, R. Wharton. Letter 2. To Mrs. Seville, England, Archangel, 24th of March. 28th of March, 17. Now slowly the time passes here, compassed as I am by frost and snow. Yet a second step is taken towards my enterprise. Hired a letter, I hired a vessel, and am occupied in collecting my sailors. Those whom I have already engaged appear to be men whom I depend are currently possessed by thoughtless courage. But I have one want which I have never yet been able to satisfy, the absence of the object which I now feel as most severe evil. I have no friend, Margaret. When I am growing with enthusiasm and success, be none to participate in my joy. If I am assailed by disappointment, no one endeavour to sustain me with dejection. I shall commit my faults to paper. It is true that, uh, that is a poor medium for communication of feeling. I desire the company of a man who sympathizes me, whose eyes would reply to mine. You may deem me romantic, my dear sister, but I definitely feel that I want of a friend. I know no one near me, gentle yet courageous, possessed of cultures as well as of capacious mind, whose tastes are like my own to prove or mend my plans. How would such a friend repair the faults of your poor brother? I am too ardent in his execution, too impatient of difficulties. But it is still greater evil for me. I have self-educated for the first fourteen years of my life. I ran wild and uncommon. I read nothing but my uncle Thomas's books of voyages. At an age I became acquainted with the celebrated poets of our country. But it is only when it ceased to be in my power to arrive at the most important benefits of which a convict, such a convict, I pervert, 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 perceived and necessary becoming acquainted with more language than that of my native country. I am, now I am 28 and am in reality more illiterate than many schoolboys of 15. It's true, I have not for more that my daydreams more extended and magnificent, but in need, what you want, the pages call it keeping. I am greatly need a friend who would sense who not to despair me romantic affection enough for me to endeavour to regulate my mind. Well, these are useless complaints. I shall certainly find a friend in the wide ocean, nor even in the archangel among merchants and seamen. Yet some feelings of allied to the duress of human nature beat even in the rugged bosoms of my lieutenant. Rinson is a man of wonderful courage enterprise. He is madly devious of glory, or rather, to my word of praise, more characteristically of advancement in his profession. He is an Englishman in the midst of a natural and professional prejudices. I suffered by cultivation, retained some of the noblest endowments of humanity. I first became acquainted with him on board a whale vessel, finding that he was unemployed in his city. I easily engaged him to assist in my enterprise. Master is a person of an excellent disposition, a remarkable in a ship of his gentleness and mildness of his discipline. His sacrifice added to his well-known integrity and doubtless courage made me more very devious to engage him. Devarious to engage him. 
a youth passed in solitude. My great, my best years spent upon your gentle and feline fosterage have so refined the groundwork to my character. I cannot overcome an intense distaste or the usual brutality as exercise on board ship. I never believed it to be necessary, and when I heard of a mariner equally noted for his kindness by heart and respect of obedience paid him by his crew, I felt myself particularly fortunate being able to secure his services. I heard of him first in rather a romantic manner from a lady who owns a, him a, the happiness of a life. This briefly is his story. Some years ago he loved a young Russian lady of moderate fortune, um, having amassed a considerable sum of prize, in prize money, the father of Gail consented to the match. She saw his mistress once before, dressed in summary, but she was bathed in tears and throwing herself at his feet, entreated him to spare her, confessing at the time she loved another that that is poor and her father would never consent to the union. My generous friend reassured the supplement that on being informed of the name of the lover, instantly abandoned the suit. He had already bought a farm for his money, on which he designed to pass the remainder of his life. Bestowed the whole on his rival, together with the remaining of his prize money to purchase stock, and then himself to solidate the lone father's woman's father to consent to their marriage with her lover. But the old woman man decidedly refused, thinking himself bound and honoured by to my friend, who, when he found the father explorable, quitted the country nor returned till he heard his former mistress were married according to his inclinations. What a noble fellow, you will, you, you will exclaim. He is so, but when we wholly uneducated, he is as silent as a Turk, and a kind of ignorant carelessness attends him, which it renders his conduct a more astonishing, distracts him from the interest and sympathy which otherwise he would command. Yet I do not suppose, because I complain a little, or because I can, make a, can conceive consolation of my toils, which I may never know that I am wavering at my resolution, so fixed as a fate. My voyage is now delayed upon the weather, shall permit my embarkment. The winter has been dreadful, severe, but the spring promises well. It is considered a remarkable early reason, season, so perhaps I shall sail sooner, Unexpected, I shall do nothing rashly. You know me sufficiently to confide in my prudence and consideration, considerance, whatever the safety of others is committed to my care. I cannot describe to you my sensations on the prospect of my undertaking. It is possible to communicate to you conception of trembling sensation, half pleasurable, half fearful, which I am preparing to depart. I am going to explore regions, to land and mist and snow. I shall kill no albatross. Albatross, therefore, do not be alarmed for my safety, or I shall come back to you as warm a wolf was the ancient marrier. You smile at my allusion, but I will disclose a secret. I have been obtained by attachment to my passionate vision, the dangerous mysteries of the ocean to the project. Production of most imaginative of modern poets is something at work in my soul which I cannot understand. I am practically industrious, painstakingly, a workman to execute with with severance and labour. 
But besides this, there is a love for the marvellous, a belief in the marvellous, intertwined in all my projects which have held me out of the common pathways of man, even to the wild sea and unvisited regions I am about to explore. But to return to my dear considerations, shall I meet you again after having traversed immense seas, travelled by the most southern cape of Australia, of Africa or America? I dare not expect such success, yet I cannot bear to look up the reverse of the picture. Continue for the present to write me my uh, by every every opportunity. I shall receive your letter of some occasions which I need them to support my spirits. I love you very tenderly. Remember me with affection. Would you never hear from me again, your affectionate brother? Robert Walton.